0: child training, and self-denial. Welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard each day. To not be satisfied with just throwing a little religion into life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As our series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from friends, from family, from others, all influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Today we begin a 10-part series on child training, with our two programs, Self-Denial and Disciplining Your Children. As we think about child training today, Kathy Reek. President of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation has some thoughts about a parenting book she found one time. And we'll have some insights on an Elizabeth Elliott exhibit at the Museum of the Bible as we hear from curator Amy Van Dyke. Right now, let's get started with part one of child training. It's called self denial. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible
1: says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliott, talking with my daughter, Valerie Shepard, today. And the subject, Valerie, is... Loves Demands. Loves Demands. And I'm going to begin by reading something from F.D. Maurice. How many times we can most of us remember when we would gladly have made any compromise with our consciences, would gladly have made the most costly sacrifices to God if he would only have excused us from this duty of loving, of which our nature seemed utterly incapable. It's far easier to feel kindly, to act kindly, toward those with whom we are seldom brought into contact, whose tempers and prejudices do not rub against ours, whose interests do not clash with ours, than it is to keep up a habitual, steady, self-sacrificing love towards those whose weaknesses and faults are always forcing themselves upon us and are stirring up our own. A man may pass good muster as a philanthropist who makes a poor master to his servants or a father to his children.
2: I'd like to say something about self-denial, that love demands self-denial, and we know that from Jesus's command to pick up our cross and lay down our lives for others. And I've found in raising children, I have eight of them, that I have to die to my love of approval from my children. I would, I would have loved many, many, many times for my children to like what I had to say to them. And because I wanted their approval more than I, I wanted what was right for them, I have often given in, indulged them, and when I knew that I shouldn't have or later on discovered that I shouldn't have.
1: Yes, and it brings up the fact that there are two very different kinds of love, aren't there? The kind that Hollywood is dishing out, which is nothing but soupy, wishy-washy sentiment, feeling good Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. somebody, and the very clear teaching of love according to the Bible, And so when we titled this talk, Love's
2: Demands, it's God is love, and God demands of us this kind of love that forgets ourselves and puts others first. It was many years before I saw the truth that my goal had been to make my children happy, and that was wrong, but that my goal should be to make them holy, to train them in righteousness and obedience, and it was my husband Walt who finally made it clear to me that I did not need to make them happy and that was not that should not be my focus whenever I was struggling over whether to say yes or no about something to my children but I finally began to see that it was a denial of my own self or my own natural inclination to be soft be kind-hearted when I began to see that I needed to teach them to say no to themselves and to say yes to God, I saw how m- much my fleshly nature hated it. and i uh, I wanted to give in to their natures. I wanted to allow whining when I didn't even realize how much whining was going on because I was trying to talk them into what I thought was the right way. and I often allowed attitudes of, I deserve this, so-and-so got this, why shouldn't I get this? Or attitudes of, uh, in doing a chore or in doing schoolwork, do I have to finish this because it's so hard? And so often my soft-hearted nature wanted to give in to that and I finally realized when I think my second one was about nine or 10, that uh, I had to say no in order to teach her selflessness. In order to teach her it was more important
1: to honor God than to give in to her own feelings. And the necessity for you to teach your children to give up their right to themselves was requiring continually that you have to say no
0: to your human
1: love, to the natural kind of love. Soft-heartedness, right. Yeah. The world would call love and realize that you're doing this because you love God, God loves you, and you love your children, and, and they have obey got God. to learn to do what he says. He says, if you love me, do what I say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I've been learning over the years that I have to teach them to deny themselves in little ways in order for them to learn to deny themselves in bigger ways as they grow up. And Can you give us an example? An example my two daughters, Colleen and Evangeline, who are now 10 and 7, would love to be able to have quiet time together because it's more fun. Uh, Colleen tends to... Maybe you should tell about quiet time. What do you mean by that? Okay. Quiet time lasts for at least an hour after lunch when all of the children are to be keeping themselves individually entertained. And Colleen and Evangeline, who are 10 and 7, still give me trouble about it because they would love to play together the whole afternoon. The neighbors usually come in after 3 o'clock or they go outside and play with the neighbors, but up until that time it's basically quiet in the house because the two youngest ones are down for a nap. And I've always required this because I felt that they needed to learn To be able to spend time alone in their rooms, be able to reflect, to be able to read, to have time to read, to be able to talk to God. One time I heard Evangeline running out the door to tell Colleen, because Colleen had gone outside at the end of the quiet time, and Evangeline had found out afterwards that quiet time was over, and she went outside and said to Colleen, Colleen, we don't have to talk to God anymore, (laughs) (laughs) meaning that that was the end of quiet time, and I had always told them that that was one of the things they could do during quiet time. To teach Colleen and Evangeline that they must deny themselves in little ways is almost always a struggle and that quiet time, that business of having quiet time and making sure that they do entertain themselves and not each other is one little way of uh, helping them understand what self-denial means. That You can't always have your own way. Of course, rarely can they have their own way. I want them to learn that they must have some quiet every day in order to learn to listen to God. And creativity and inspirations often happen when there's quiet time allowed in a child's life. But if he's always with other children, always being entertained by the mother or whoever, then he rarely has time to find that resourcefulness within himself or with God.
1: I was very interested in reading a book written by a woman who had been in the education of children for many years. And she said that she felt that it could be much more important for a child to be alone in the corner of the play yard on a swing than joining a game with the rest of the children. And, of course, our natural inclination nowadays is everybody's got to do the same thing everybody else is doing. Everybody's got to join in and play the games together it's a mistake, don't you think, to require exactly the same thing of everybody. There, there is a child who would be a reflective type, yes. who needs the swing in the corner, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: and the type that's not necessarily reflective also needs to learn to spend time quietly. And I think that's the way my Colleen is—that she needs to learn to spend more time quietly
1: reading a book and which, quietly which is, thinking a form of self-denial right, right. there because it uh-huh. wouldn't be her first mm-hmm. choice.
2: Right. When we started out, we were saying that love's demands are, or love's demand of us is that we must deny ourselves. And in being a mother, I must deny myself the pleasure of giving in to my children, thinking that I'm going to make them happy when it often doesn't make them happy to give in to them. It makes them more miserable. But I love Amy Carmichael's poem She had a lot of poems about love, and, of course, she had, what, over how many children? Five, over 500?
1: 700 at one time.
2: That many children she had adopted from Indians. And here's her poem about love. Love Through Me, it's called. Love Through Me, Love of God, Make me like thy clear air Through which unhindered colors pass As though it were not there powers of the love of God, depths of the heart divine, O love that faileth not, break forth and flood this world of thine. How we as mothers long to have that kind of love that is unconditional and always kind and always tender-hearted, and we get mixed up with what the tender-heartedness of the world is, which is giving in to your child and the tender-heartedness of God, which is you need this discipline or soldierly action in your life in order to, to make you more like Jesus. And I've often prayed, Lord, pour your love through me and make me like that clear air that thou dost pour thy colors through as though it were not there because I want myself out of the way so that I can love my children unconditionally. And if they are displeasing me, not to show my displeasure in an irritated and sinful way, but to show my disappointment or sadness in a loving way so that they see that it is a serious thing to not do all that they should do or to
1: do what they shouldn't have done. I love the verse that says, He doth not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. And you as a very loving mother don't ever want willingly to afflict or grieve your children, but real love grieves and afflicts its children. God has to grieve and afflict us because God is love. Thank you so much for being with us again this week, Val. You're welcome.
0: Part one in a 10-part series called Child Training. That was Self-Denial. Later on, it's Disciplining Your Children, part two in this series. And also later on, we'll hear about the Museum of the Bible Elizabeth Elliott exhibits, which continues through January. Right now, the president of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, Kathy Reek, has a story about a parenting book she found.
3: There was at one point that I was a little perplexed about being a parent and peer pressure of parenting and praying about it and feeling a little lonely in my views as a Christian mother. One day out of the blue, the book, The Shaping of a Christian Family came and I did not order it. I have no idea where it came from, but it was the sweetest thing. It just arrived and I read it and it just assured me once again that I was doing what God had called me to do as a mother. I think of the thousands of individuals that never met Elizabeth, and yet she mentored from afar. I mean, in me only really having that one encounter with her before her dementia, and yet I considered her like my spiritual mentor.
0: As we've started our series on child training, that was Kathy Reek. President of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation. Well, some thoughts on disciplining your children next, and also some thoughts on the Museum of the Bible, Elizabeth Elliott exhibit, that coming later. Right now, part two of Child Training, Disciplining Your Children. You are
1: loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot. Glad today to have as my guest again my daughter Valerie Shepherd. And you hear me say day after day, you are loved with an everlasting love. We're talking about love's demands. We are loved by a God who is in no way wishy-washy. A God whose love is strong enough to allow us to suffer. A God whose love is pulls apart from anything that the world understands uh, when they think of love, according to Hollywood. It's it's romance, it's feelings, it's feeling good about oneself, and it's a totally self-centered thing. But this time we're talking about divine love, aren't we? Mm-hmm. May I read from First Corinthians
2: 13, the famous love chapter? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I know many times I've stopped myself in the middle of a lecture to my children because I can hear myself being a noisy gong because I have no love in the way I'm saying it. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am nothing. I know I have just longed to be completely loving with my children and completely wise in dealing with them because I'm not patient when they have uh, done something against the rules. Love is patient and love is kind and I've not been kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude or it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. God wants us to be Continually persevering in learning what His love is like towards us. And as we raise up our children, if we are trying to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh, we'll see more and more how persevering His love is with us because we see our own sins and our weaknesses and how kind and forgiving and merciful He's been. And then we see how He wants to pour that kind of love through us to our children because. The more children I've had, the more sinfulness I've seen. Growing up in a home as an only child, I feel like I hardly ever had to deal with other people's sins. I wasn't even aware of other people's sins growing up, and I know how my children are very much aware (laughs) of everyone's sins around them. Not necessarily their own, but their brothers' and sisters' sins. And uh, I have a favorite prayer from the Southwell Litany, that says this save us and help us we humbly beseech thee O Lord from moral weakness of spirit and we were just talking about how uh, love demands that we be strong in saying no to our children when we want to give in to what they want so we're praying for that we would not be morally weak and from timidity from hesitation from fear of men and dread of responsibility Strengthen us with courage to speak the truth in love and self-control and alike from the weakness of hasty violence and weakness of moral cowardice. Save us and help us, we humbly beseech thee, O Lord. And I have seen myself so many times fail towards my children because I was morally weak. My resolution that I'd had in the morning hours of devotions petered out when I had to face saying no to a child that I knew would be indignant and I still have that struggle and I I want mothers to know that that uh, there's no way that they should put me up on a pedestal or think of me as the perfect mother of a perfect family because I could give a punishment to one of my children, but I'm afraid of the indignancy that would come from his mouth when he heard what I was actually going to do. It's from moral weakness of spirit. It's from timidity. And I know God wants me to be courageous and strong, strong in him and full of his love and his gentle self-control. Um, many times I've raced with a child to the bathroom, which is where we do the disciplining, just furious with what they had just done. And by the time I've gotten to the bathroom, I'm realizing, of course, that I have the wrong spirit, this hasty violence that is wrong and not of the Lord. And, Could uh, I
1: stop you right there for a second, Val, and ask if it, wouldn't, it might not be a good idea for some of these parents who write me letters and say I don't know what to do because I can't control my anger when my child disobeys uh, you just said that you go to the you take the child mm-hmm. to the bathroom so just mm-hmm. that little interval between mm-hmm. the offense mm-hmm. and the rising of your anger mm-hmm. and then getting to the bathroom mm-hmm. is at least a sort of a cushion there where yes. you're you're not going to beat them unmercifully
2: yes.
1: or use right. hasty violence mm-hmm. against them mm-hmm. you know my heart breaks to mm-hmm. think of how awful it is when when parents really do abuse their children. But that would be one suggestion. you want to yes, talk about that? Yes,
2: to, to take uh-huh. them away from the scene, especially when there are other children around or other adults around. To, it helps them to, to be taken to a spot where they know discipline will happen, and it helps the mother or the father to get a few seconds to think what is it that needs to be done here rather than this child has got to be whipped and beaten. We're, we don't want to whip and beat our children. Spankings are self-controlled uh, tools for di- of the discipline of the Lord, and and they're they're not done with hasty and angry violence. Um, I think that spankings do have to be hard enough to hurt, so that the child knows the consequence of what he did was wrong. But Uh, not only is it good for you to have that the few seconds for them to go to the bathroom or even I've sent my child to the bathroom while I wait a minute before I go in there and but it is also good for the fact that you want to teach them that their disobedience needs to be dealt with before their parent their mother or father and before God and it can't be dealt with very easily in front of other people because the main problem there is that they're they're worried about what people are thinking when they're looking at them and of course the embarrassment and all that is there with people around and and also you if you're trying to discipline in front of other people you're more aware of what they're thinking the parent is more aware of what everybody else is thinking than than what god would want you to be thinking about so it helps to have a separate room to take them to i also when I tell my child that he needs to be spanked for what he did, it has helped me more and more in the past few years to have them hold out their hand, and I spank them one or two times hard on the hand with a stick. That way they see the spanking in front of them. I used to always spank on the back of the legs, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it just seems to me that it has helped for the child to have to put his hand out to receive the punishment. And then I always say, do you know why mama spanked you? And then I, and if they don't know, I explain it. And then I hug them and I pray with them and I tell them how much I want them to learn to love, to do good and to to love pleasing the Lord. But again, love demands that we be careful, with our children in what we say to them and that we be gentle and yet firm in our authority it took me quite a few years to to fall back on the truth or to rest on the truth that because I'm the mother they will toe the line they will follow what I have to what I must say to them i mean for so long it just was always this feeling like oh i've got to make them happy i've got to please them in some way and i finally realized that i could say you have to obey because i'm your mother and god has given me the position of authority over you
1: have you seen that poster of the hand with the little chickens and all it says at the bottom is because i'm the mama because Because that's why that's right do your Uh children ever ask well you know why
2: do i have to do this Yes, and I say, because your mother told you you must, and the Bible says you must honor your parents. Uh, Another prayer from the Southwell Litany is to ask the Lord to keep us from the indecision that can make no choice. Again, I've found myself indecisive in the midst of trying to please two different parties, two opposing parties, and I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to make this one happy? And am I supposed to correct this one, punish this one, and not this one? And often I have felt that God was saying, I must punish both of them because they were both wrong in getting into the conflict that they got. But but my own indecisiveness and my own forgetfulness has made me despair many times because uh, I haven't been able to make quick, firm, wise decisions. And it's again, it's because I wasn't denying myself that desire to indulge my children from the ear resolution that carries no choice into act act you might have f- found yourself making a resolve or a resolution in your heart at devotion time and then later on in the day the resolve is gone because of whatever because of your own selfishness because of the child's selfishness you're wanting to give in to the child and and uh, God wants us to be resolute in his principles and be confident that what we're teaching our children is what he wants us to teach them. Here's another prayer from Amy Carmichael about love. God's love, it's called the Golden Censer. That's C-E-N-S-E-R. Eternal love, we have no good to bring thee. No single good of all our hands have wrought, No worthy music have we found to sing thee, no jeweled word, no quick upsoaring thought. And yet we come, and when our faith would falter, show us, O love, the quiet place of prayer, the golden censer and the golden altar and the great angel waiting for us there.
1: Beautiful. I love that. It's, I love that one too. Well, Val, I think our time is up for today. Okay.
0: We've been talking about love's demands. Part two in our ten-part series on child training—that was disciplining your children—as we try to raise our children to know and love the Bible. Let's hear about the Museum of the Bible, 404th Street Southwest in Washington, D.C., and specifically an Elizabeth Elliot exhibit that's on display now through January. Amy Van Dyke is the lead curator of the Museum of the Bible.
4: The response has been overwhelmingly positive, and this is a story that so many people know already, and it's touched so many people's hearts over generations. It's not just her generation, Elizabeth's generation, but those that came after her, and even young people today have had such a response to it Uh, The times that I've been there to observe and talk with people, there's always someone who has either studied her life or listened to her podcast or read her books or something, and they're just fascinated to look at, uh, peek into her life a little bit with some of the the artifacts that we have on display. And even young people. So I was there, uh, I guess, a month or so ago, and there was a school group of high school students in there from a private, looked like a private Christian school that was in the area for visits. BC gets a lot of visiting school groups. And one student in particular hung back and was looking at everything, reading everything, which is kind of unusual for a high school student to be reading everything at the exhibit. So I walked up and asked him, uh, Have you heard of Elizabeth Elliot? And do you know the story? And he said, Oh, yes, I've read her books, I've studied her story. This is fascinating, and it's wonderful to be able to see this. So I had a great conversation with this young man who was maybe 15 or so. So it's really spanned generations, and it's been an overwhelmingly positive review
0: so far. Amy Van Dyke, lead curator at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, our time is coming to an end. Thanks for letting us come into your home, your office, maybe along with you as you took your walk wherever we found you today. On behalf of the Elizabeth Elliot Foundation in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. More talks, devotionals, videos and more at elizabethelliot.org. Via Apple Podcasts, Nina Staka from Norway says, "It's so inspiring. Elizabeth Elliot is a clear example on what it means to be a Christian." When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to whatever comes our way. We say yes to walk in obedience and faith, knowing that God knows what he is doing. This podcast has helped me to set my eyes on Jesus. I become less, he becomes more, and in that I find peace. Well, thank you very much for those kind words, and friend, let us hear from you. Feel free to leave a podcast review if you get a chance. Until next time, though, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love. Underneath are those everlasting arms.